0: 1 Peter chapter 5, we're dealing with living in a crisis. And the word crisis, if you go from the Greek, the word is crisis, K-R-I-S-I-S, and it means to make a decision. And in 1 Peter, the apostle was writing to the church in a crisis. Well, what do you need to do in a crisis? You need to make some decisions. So this whole Bible study, the theme that we've been bringing out of it is that we need to make decisions so there's some decisions in chapter five and this is the final chapter in this book so there was an old guy i guess i'm kind of getting closer to being that guy you know there was an old guy sitting eating at a local truck stop a greasy spoon right and three big burly like harley davidson bikers come in easy Easy, right (laughs) Unless you're the old guy, then you'd be all right, right? <laughs> so the first guy stubbed his cigarette out in the old guy's pie. Pssst. And the second guy from the Harley walked past and just uh, took his coffee and threw it on the ground. And the third man walked past and flipped the guy's plate right on the floor. All of the all over the place. The old guy didn't say a word. He just kind of wiped his mouth a little bit got up and you know kind of slowly walked out of the truck stop huh snorted the first biker he wasn't much of a man was he and about a minute later the server said nope he's not much of a truck driver either he just backed up and crushed three big harleys with his with his rig (laughs) but you never know but you know what it's time to eat. And like eating is good. And the word of God is compared to food. Jesus said, my word, it's my flesh is, is it's, it's food. It's meat indeed. And the word of God is something that can fill us up on the inside. And that's actually in here. So verse, verses 1 to verse 4. Deciding what to do. We're dealing with some decisions. Deciding to do... What God wants you to do. You know, God wants you to do things. You've ever had God touch your heart about something? That's because God wants you to do something. And uh, say, oh, preacher, what do I do when God wants me to do something? Well, you have to make a decision that you're going to do what God wants you to do. So now you're something. So, the, you know, you have ever tried a new food? So these two cannibals were eating a clown. One cannibal turns to the other one and said, does this taste funny to you? <laughs> the elders, verse 1, which are among you, I exhort. <laughs> Peter said, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory of that shall be revealed. So he's dealing with the elders of the church, the pastors, uh, the, the ministers of the church. But you know, pastors and ministers have to decide that they're going to do what God wants them to do, too. So he exhorts them and then he says, Here's what God wants you to do. Verse 2 Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. So, first of all, he said, you've got to not only do what God wants you to do, but God is a big believer in doing something with the right attitude. Notice he says here, not by constraint, well, I have to. You know, there's a difference between I have to and I get to. You know, there's an attitude change, right? He said. Willingly. Isn't the Bible saying in the Old Testament, if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse, that's an action, and rebel, that's an attitude, well, then the judgment of God comes on. You see, God wants us, even, even in giving, the Bible said we're not supposed to give grudgingly or of necessity. It says the Lord, He even cares how you give in the offering. He loves what? A cheerful giver. God cares about everything that we do. So there is a verse of scripture in Ephesians chapter 5, and it illustrates this. Verse 28 and 29. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh. But notice but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the lord the church. Now those words mean something. To nourish your flesh means to do what? Feed it. Fill that hungry tummy, right? But to cherish it means you take care of it, you respect it, right? You you care about it. The nourishing is the action. The cherishing is the attitude. See, God just doesn't want us to do something. He wants us to do the right thing the wrong way. Have you ever said something like, sorry? Well, you're not really saying sorry. Sorry, that offended you. You know, that's not really saying sorry, right? That's the action, but not the attitude. But God wants us to do things in the right way. And so, preacher, how do I know if they have the wrong attitude? <laughs> we all know, right? If, if you're not sure if you have the right attitude, ask somebody, right? Usually I have a daughter, right? And you know when her attitude's wrong. Why? Because my daughter weighs about 55 pounds because we weigh her at Publix a lot or she jumps on that scale, right? So I know. But when she walked up the stairs, you'd think she was an elephant. <laughs> what is that? Stomping up the stairs. That's a heavy attitude, right? What do you make her do? Come back down. Try it again. Let's see if you can walk up there more quietly. Why? To do the right thing in the right way, brethren, in life, it's important. And I'm trying to teach that lesson. It's not just for overseers. And there's many times where the pastor has had to pray, right? I've had to get forgiveness for my wife right before the service because I've spoken to her roughly like she was a man. and She's not. You can't do that with women. How do you know? Try it. See how it works for you. It doesn't work, right? So to do the right thing in the right way, what did God want his pastors to do? What did God want pastors to do? In Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 15, it said, and I will give you pastors according to mine heart. And what will pastors do? Feed you with knowledge and understanding. That's from Jeremiah 3 and 15. You know, God wants us pastors to feed the flock of God. That's what we're supposed to do. We need to decide to do that, man. When I come to church, I want something for my soul. I need something. You know, people say, feed me, preacher. Well, that's exactly what preachers ought to do. Feed people the word of God. Do you remember when Peter had denied Christ and uh, it was uh, after Christ rose from the dead? Well, uh, Jesus is on the shore. And uh, first thing Jesus does, though, it's pretty cool, right? Jesus is always the example, right? So Jesus has these coals, you know, and fish and bread. It's already cooked, man. It probably smells good too. Seasoned and everything probably. And and so Jesus said to do what? Come and dine. You know, God's always feeding his people. Whether it was for 40 years in the wilderness with manna, whether it was 4,000 or 5,000, Jesus fed people with bread and fish. Jesus feeds people and spiritually and physically and so he told these people the disciples come and dine i've already got your food prepared and then it's interesting i don't think i've ever really noticed this before uh the bible says in john chapter 21 and verse 13 jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise have you ever been to outback hey my name's jeanette and i'll be here taking care of you today Hello, my name's Jesus, and I'll be taking care of you today. That's what Jesus did. He actually was the waiter for the disciples. Man, that's, that's really something, isn't it? It's humbling, but that's what Jesus does. He feeds people. But then he had to talk to Peter, the one who had denied him three times. And so he asked him three times, Do you love me, Peter? And the first time... And we'll just get on that because this is what God wants his apostles, his preachers, his pastors to do. John chapter 21, verse 15, he said, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Now notice what Jesus said, feed my lambs. And then he said, feed my sheep. And then the third time he said, feed my sheep. because isn't it interesting that Peter's writing about what Jesus talked to him about in the gospel of John as he writes to the church he's passing on what Jesus gave to him feed my people give them something to eat you know that God is look I'm not against fastings in the Bible but I find so many instances when God's around man he has some food In Exodus, when he brought these 70 elders up and they saw God, not just Moses, but it says it in Exodus chapter 24. Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel, they went up and they said they saw the God of Israel. What did they do? Well, they had church. Interestingly, maybe, but that's not what it says in Exodus. It says, and there was under his feet as it were a paved work of a sapphire stone and as it were the body of heaven in his clearness and upon the nobles of the children of israel he laid not his hand also they saw god and did eat and drink now i know they were out in the desert but i believe god probably had ice he probably has soda so you know god got it from somewhere maybe like Angels are, would you like more? Would you like more soda? Yes, Michael. Could I have another load of fish and lamb? You know, I don't know what they were eating, but it was probably, can I get some more bread, Gabriel? But they were having a good time eating with God. Why? God feeds people. When Elijah was having kind of a meltdown, remember when Elijah was running from the queen, he was having a meltdown and he had had a death sentence served up to him. Uh, The Bible says, he wished that he would die. You know, have you ever just been so stressed out? I mean, he, he actually said, I wish I was dead. And this is the prophet of God. And it said, as he lay down and slept under a juniper tree, behold, that an angel touched him and said unto him, arise and eat. Isn't that something? God feeds people. And it said, and he looked and behold, there was a cake, bacon on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. You just heaven's delivery they had uber back then right what do they call that DoorDash. <laughs> all the way from heaven down there the angel delivery and the angel said he did eat and drink and laid down again and the angel of the lord came again the second time and touched him and said arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee and he ate again and this was some super food because the bible said he went 40 days on that food it was like Man, I'd like that. Like, that'd be an MRE right there. If you could get that and eat for 40 days, save time too, right? But God feeds people. You know, when Jacob was getting ready to die and he was blessing Joseph in the book of Genesis, he said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day. Isn't that something? God will feed you spiritually, but this isn't just spiritually. Physically, God will meet your needs. Isn't that what Jesus said with food and raiment, which means clothing? Let us be content. You know, if you're not cold, they lived in the Middle East, right? If you're not cold and if your tummy's happy, man, I'm good. You know, I'm just like sit back, loosen my belt a little bit and just like, hey, praise God. We can be that way too. So, the preachers are supposed to feed the flock of God. That is the desire of this preacher. Feed the flock of God. Give them something because God is that way. Oh, we're having a potluck this Sunday. If you're listening online, only going to be in Jacksonville. So if you're not here, so I don't know how to get there. So neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. When Paul told, when Paul told was told uh, the church to follow him as he followed jesus christ the word there is mamites which is like a mind he's just like do what i do you know that's how wildlife learn they learn mimicry they do what their mom the mommy bird does they do what the daddy bird does and you know what that's what our kids do they mimic us but in the church people begin to mimic you so if you say bless you someone else says hey bless you If you see someone forgive someone, you're like, huh, they forgave someone. I can forgive someone. You know, I remember I started coming to the New Testament Christian Church, and I'd see some of the people on base, some of the Marines, because we were a bunch of Marines in a church, and I would look to see how they acted outside of church. Well, how do most Marines act outside of church? Not like you're supposed to act anywhere, right? So... But uh, this one guy, he was, he was trying to say something, but he was cursing so much he couldn't even get his – this is not a brother from church. This is just a Marine. And, and I said something that I shouldn't have probably said. I said, hey, if you, if you take out all the curse words, then you could tell me what you're going to tell me. And you know what he did? He, he added a bunch <laughs> more curse words. I don't remember what he wanted to tell me. I don't think I got lost in all the curse words. It was like a foamy sea of curse words, right? Marines will combine them and put them together like, you know, Legos and just, you know, build one upon the other. But anyhow, so, uh, but I I saw that those Marines, the ones that were in church, they acted different when they were out of church. Man, that was awesome. And they acted like Christians. And it made me think, wow, you can do this outside of church? I grew up going to church. But not living like a Christian between the Sundays. I thought that was like a one hour a week thing. But I realized, man, this was real. What do they have? They had Jesus. So, verse 4 And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. The Bible says that be not weary in well-doing for in due season. Whether you're a pastor, I'm not a pastor or preacher, but you know what? In due season, the Bible said, we shall reap if we faint not. There's a God that is going to come and he's going to read the ledger of your life and God has a reward with him. Deciding to do what God wants you to do. So verses five to nine, deciding to put God first. Deciding to put God first. You know, that's easy to say. (laughs) You know what? That's hard to do. Because if you ask anyone, do you put God first? You know what most people will say? Yes, I do. But then our life has to back up our words. Have you ever heard someone uh, about to get in a fight? And uh, someone says, hey, you're writing a check, that your body can't cash. You know, your, your words are, get, are saying something, but you're not going to be able to back it up. Well, uh, deciding to put God first, and I know we're all at different levels serving God, but brethren, uh, that is a real big deal to put God first. But the good thing is, when you put God first, again... The preacher was told to be an example, but Timothy was also told to be an example. But we're all told to be an example. I heard this story of this one preacher. He said, you know, he wanted to be, he wanted to be an example in a church conference. We have one coming up in Graham, Washington. And so I can tell you who it is, too. He's a, he's a faithful minister of God, but I won't. And he was, he was used as a bad example, I guess. <laughs> so you're going to be used as an example, but, you know, God knows. At least I could be a bad example. No, but God wants us to be a good example of the believer. Have I been a bad? I've probably been a bad example, too. At least, praise the Lord. So verse 5, verses 5 to 9. Put God first. Say, well, preacher, what if I'm a bad example? Can I tell you honestly, I have learned more from my failures than I have from my successes. And sometimes a failure is a real blessing. You know why? Because it gets us to reevaluate ourselves and the way we do things. If you keep winning, you might never change. But if you have a big summer blowout, like they said in Frozen, big summer blowout, you know, have a big summer blowout, things go crazy. And then you're like, you know what? I'm going to change everything. This person was getting ready to do some working out or whatever. And so they asked someone what they needed to change. And the guy said, just everything. (laughs) Just everything. I mean, you're a mess, right? So let's decide to put God first. You can do it in small ways. You can do it in big ways. But that's the only place God will play, right? God will play as God. He'll only be first. And we'll begin to notice him be a blessing. You know the hardest thing for us to play? You know what the hardest instrument to play in an orchestra is? Second fiddle. They say, what is it, the chair or whatever, the first violin. They get to be the first one. and they have. If you know anything about orchestras, it's the place to be. But that number two chair, argh, hard to play, right? Okay, verse five, let's do it. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. So we see when we put God first, we don't have a problem not being first in society. And whether this is more speaking of Younger in Christ and older in Christ, or just a young person and an older person. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. And someone, I think it was my wife's grandpa said, if you know sir and ma'am, you know everybody's name in the whole world. And I'll tell people, I'll call people sir and ma'am just as as a token of respect, unless they want to be called something else like Mama Woods or Mama cob, and then you're just mama. But that's a term of respect to them. And then it says, wait, everybody be subject one to another. No, after you, no, after you. That's why Christians can't go through a door. No, after you, no, after you, no, after you, no, after you. right? And be clothed with humility. It comes from the word hummus, which means dirt or ground, right? That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be low. Why, aha, this is the reason. For God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. The Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he he will lift you up. God has a victory. I believe we all like to win, but that's God's way of winning. God's way up is down. You know, have you ever had a real victory when you went down in prayer? You ever had a real victory when you took that uh, you know, that uh, humility. The, the, they call it the high road, but really it's the hard road because we have to go low to take the high road. You know, there's three roads, right? There's the low road. That's treating someone worse than they treat you. Very easy to do, right? Give them one finger salute, right? Very easy. There's the middle road, which is treat someone how they treat you. Say, so, well, preacher, that's what I'm going to do. Mm, but that's not what Jesus says to do. That second mile is the high road. That's when you don't have to do it. That's treating someone better than they treat you. Preacher, prove it. Didn't Jesus say, bless them that curse you? They curse you and you take the high road. Hey, man, bless you. Say, how do you know that works? Man, if God says it, brother, it works. (laughs) It works. And that's what Jesus did. So, verse... I'm going to see if I can speed up a little bit. Humble yourselves, verse 6, therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. See, God wants to exalt us. You know that my child has a job. I say, preacher, this is being recorded. Do you is, is she working under the labor laws of Florida? Yes, she has a job. And I believe that Every every child needs a job. Say preacher, what job does your daughter have? If I say the word children, she will say the rest of the scripture. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's my child's job. To do what? What I tell her to do. Say so, well that's easy. It is not easy. My child works 24/7. You might work 40 or 50 or 60 what is it 176 hours a week or something my child works what do you what are you teaching her i'm teaching her when she obeys me because if your child only obeys you 40 hours a week what are you training a 40 hour a week christian i want my child to obey me all the time you know why because i'm training her to obey god all the time they a preacher, but you're training a child that's not going to be healthy. Oh man, let me tell you, so excited about her. So today she was at school and I don't even think she had to do this, but she goes, my teacher wanted me to read this book and it was about a fire god and the fire god wasn't even wearing many clothes. My daughter's in second grade. I don't know what this was. It was probably a cartoon. So she told her teacher, no, I'm not going to read that. You don't. Woo. And I was like, girl, good job. I don't even know, really know if it was bad, but she didn't feel bad to stand up for what was right when daddy wasn't there. Because one day, daddy, you're not going to be there. And your child needs to obey you so they learn to obey God. And you know, that's where the blessing is when we put God first. I mean, I'm so proud of her. I just want to go buy her something. Man, that's awesome. Why? Because let me tell you, because when you obey God, there's blessings. When you obey God, there's blessings. You know if an earthly father wants to bless you, how much more your heavenly father, man? God just wants to bless you. Christians walking around saying, Bless you, bless you. Why? Because that's what God wants to do to us. And we're just, you know, kind of mimicking what God does to us. And like, man, how God blesses you, brother. Hey, God blessed you, bro. Praise God. It's awesome. God's good. Verse. Seven. So if your kids don't have a job, give them a job. What? To obey you. To obey their parents in the Lord. Not just to obey their parents blindly, but to obey them in the Lord. She wouldn't obey me if I told her to do something wrong. So, but God is faithful. This is my one of my favorite verses. Not only in... When you put God first, you don't have to worry, right? there's a there's a chorus there's no need to worry no need to cry Why? God's gonna bless you by and by casting all your care that means to throw upon him for he careth for you 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 know that the Bible says in the Old Testament right so first we cast our cares in the book of Leviticus Chapter 19 and verse 18, it says, you're not to bear any grudge against the children of thy people. Have you ever carried a grudge? You have to, it's physically, you have to like spiritually carry someone. You ever seen someone with a chip on their shoulder? I mean, they have like this, but the Bible says, no, take your grudge off and love your neighbor as thyself. But you have to do the first one, take your grudge off in order to love someone. So if you're bearing a grudge, man, drop it. Cast your care into the Lord. Cast your grudges unto the Lord. And first of all, you need to get unburdened. And then we need to do what Jesus said, cast our nets. When Jesus was resurrected, he told them, children, cast your net on the right side and ye shall find. Once we get unburdened with grudges, we can get filled up with God's blessings. There were so many fish, 153 great fish jumped into this net, and God blessed his people when they acted out in faith. That's what we need to do. Cast our cares on Jesus, and then cast our nets, and let's get filled up with what God has. And then when God blesses us, we'll do what they did, not the musical group necessarily, but we'll cast our crown. So when God blesses you, we say, hey, thanks for this crown, Lord, but I really want to glorify God. I'm going to cast this thing off and I want to give glory to Jesus. Amen. Verse eight, be sober, be be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And the Bible says that he comes not but to Steal, to kill and destroy. You know what that word steal comes from? Klepto. You know what a kleptomaniac is? Someone who has to steal. But they steal when you don't notice. They're not robbers, they're filters. They just grab it and you don't know what's going on. Have you ever had your joy stolen by the devil? You just get busy, you're working real hard, all of a sudden, man, my joy's gone, my peace is gone, man, the devil just came up and he just took it away from you. That's why it says, wait a second, don't let him steal that. But the son of man, the Bible says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. God wants to fill us up. Why? Because he feeds people. Verse nine, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Brethren, we're all gonna go through something. I got a minute for the last thing. Verses 10 to 14 deciding to go to the other side of obedience. Now, just let me, if you get to the other side of obeying God, if you make that decision, brethren, there's a blessing on the other side. There's a blessing on the other side of obeying Jesus Christ. But the God of all grace, this is the blessing that no one wants, though. Who have called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After that, ye have ugh, suffered for a while. Eee, no one wants that, right? That's a blessing, right? Make you perfect, which means mature establish strengthen and settle you that's a triple blessing after you've been shaken up a little bit then you'll be established in the faith you'll make up your mind you'll be strong and you'll have a foundation you'll be settled and have a foundation in god verse 11 i'm trying to hurry this up just a little bit Boy, I got a lot of notes for that. Okay, keep going, keep going. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So, amen. The preacher is closing, but there's one message in the closing. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose, I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. The church that is at Babylon... Elected together with you, saluteth you. And so doth Marcus, my son. Now that was Mark who also went astray, but came back and wrote the gospel of Mark for Jesus Christ. Verse 14, greet one another with a kiss of charity. Now they would actually, when I was in the Middle East, this guy came up and kissed me. They do that. Say, preacher, did you kiss him back? No. I, I, now they kiss you on the cheek, okay? They don't kiss you on the lips, okay? That's a different kind of person, all right. But in the Middle East, they go, and in other foreign countries, France, and they will... Do they do that in the Dominican Republic? They kiss on the cheeks? Well, this is how, in the Middle East, they did things. So if you go overseas, that's how someone, even a stranger, will come up. And they don't even necessarily touch you with their lips. You're just kind of touching cheeks, right? Well, this man came up, and he goes, Adam! And I said, "Don't ever do that again." So you see, this is not an—it's am- a—it's a cultural thing. Okay, this isn't a spiritual thing. But you don't have to kiss me on the way out of church. Okay, this is what they do. But that's what it's talking about—the kiss of charity, right? That's how they greet over there. And if I was over there, you know, uh, they might—you know—I don't know. Families do it. You'd have to get used to it. Okay, if you start a church in the Middle East. But notice this. Brethren, living in a crisis, this is the result. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. And that's what we would like to end with. Uh, let's, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Peace, Lord, I pray, be with us all who have made the decision to do what God wants them to do, that have made the decision to put God first and have made the decision to see this trial through that they're facing to the other side of obedience, and that the peace of God would be with them from this very moment in Christ Jesus. Amen.